Hello? Hello? Is anybody out there? Welcome to All the Shit with Tom and Will. What's up, Tom? What's going on, Will? Welcome back to All the Shit, buddy. Yeah, it's good to be back. I feel like it's been a long time. I think there's certainly a couple folks, uh, thanks is owed to keep the torch carried while I've been absent. Yeah, it was great to have Anna on and Elvir to provide yeah. some context and content that was valuable that I think no slight to you because I certainly couldn't provide that type of insight either on those particular topics. Yeah, no. First off, I watched the Elvir episode very recently and I'm like, oh my God, this is my replacement. He's fitter than me. He's smarter than me. His beard is better than mine. This guy is my better in all ways. Yeah, he's a pretty special dude. You know, it's nice to have a group of people that you can pull on that have different life experiences that can share different perspectives on some of these things because, yeah, we're going to give our perspective on everything we can, but there's certainly plenty of experiences we haven't had. And while we may be able to relate something in our life that closely approximates a certain situation, it's always tough to try and tackle something that you haven't personally experienced and give reasonable and realistic guidance. Absolutely. Two very narrow perspectives and experiences out of eight billion. There's certainly others than these two. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for jumping in and I'm sure we'll call on you again as the time dictates. Yeah. So what's been going on, man? Where have you been these past few weeks? The people want to know. Yeah, I bet they do. I'll tell all three of you right here. Right now. <laughs> Just following up and continuing addressing the medical kind of issues, jumping through those hoops. Most recently, I had a, a spinal tap and an MRI scheduled, as always, scheduling snafus related to that and everything. And then following the spinal tap, I wasn't supposed to drive. I was supposed to be on bed rest for like a day. So just really out and about dealing with those things, running back and forth to follow up doctor appointments and things of that nature. Did you get your results yet? I did. I did that actually just this week uh, on Wednesday. And there were a few flags, nothing too crazy in the blood work, but I didn't have access to the spinal tap information or the MRI. And so I, I got there and for the most part, he's everything's clear. There's a few flags we'll talk about and, and he's talking about it and he, he starts talking about the MRI and he's like, it came back. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. No, there's nothing there. I'm like, oh, I guess my wife was right. <laughs> But all that is to say that there was nothing in the spinal fluid, a little bit of protein, but no big deal there, no bacteria or anything like that. And there was no abnormalities in the MRI either. The course forward is, here's some more antibiotics, lots of luck. He recommended I see a neurologist and they may refer me to an ENT, ear, nose and throat doctor, to address the neurological symptoms that are hanging around, make sure there's nothing physical like in my ears that's causing the constant white noise. But he said, aside from that, unless they come across anything or able to identify anything, from his perspective, he said these things will likely resolve themselves in time. And if not, just get used to living with it. And hopefully it doesn't get any worse. I know, right? Has that get used to living with it and hopefully it doesn't get any worse. Hey, the good news is you don't have Lyme disease. So no, I do. I absolutely have Lyme disease. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not, not my spinal fluid, so it's not meningitis caused by Lyme's disease. So. I got it. Okay. Hey, you got some answers at least? Yeah, I kind of was hoping for something more definitive, like, yes, it's in your spinal fluid, and this is the aggressive treatment. Like, it's more kind of, uh, everything looks okay. Yeah, at least There's... with a diagnosis, you can say that explains exactly. all of these symptoms. Yeah. And... yeah, so tumor, no tumor, no stroke, nothing crazy like that. Next step is just finish this course of antibiotics and then work on getting with the neurologist and or the ENT doctor. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Glad to have you back in one piece, buddy. Glad to be back, man. It's been too long. Yeah. I had an interesting experience that I want to share with you. Yeah, yeah, unload. It's going to lead into a conversation piece, but I was hanging out with a friend, and we were just hanging out at a bonfire at his house, and one of his neighbors was over. You know, I'm 41. My friend is also mid-40s, and this kid that came over to hang out with this young man is 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And so we're sitting around shooting the shit. And then, of course, things start to turn a little bit serious. Get a couple drinks in you, and the, the real deep stuff starts to be less scary and starts to come out. That's awesome, though, because it doesn't always go that way. Like we talked about before, some people are so dead set on staying superficial. I love when the deep stuff comes out. That's when I'm like, oh, I lean in and I'm interested. Yeah, and what was cool about this is this was kind of set up this way because my friend met this kid recently. Mm-hmm. And then after hanging out with him for a month peripherally, he's like, Man, Tom, you got to come meet this kid. He's an old soul. Yeah. And I wouldn't say he's prophetic or anything like that, but he's lived a life, a lot of different experiences, a lot of really bad shit, stuff that you hope people in general never have to go through, but Mm. this young man's lived through a lot. Yeah. He knew that the whole point of this was to sit down and give him an opportunity to ask some questions to some older guys and have a mentor. And he was looking for that, which I think is amazing. And that does speak to being an older soul to know At 22 years old, man, I need to talk to some guys that have been down this road before me and get some information and some insight. I love that. I love that so much because the piece of advice I would give myself if I could go back and talk to my younger self would be to find someone to mentor you formally that would really try and and pour into you and, and give you that perspective, that experience, that leg up. And because I feel like it would have launched me like years further ahead than I am currently. You and I have talked about this every time one of the interviews airs and I ask that question at the end and we talk about it and we're like, would you have taken your own advice? And the answer is absolutely not. So it's always crazy. It's inspiring to me to see someone who is pursuing on their own, seeking it. Yeah. That is that young. Yeah, exactly. So we get to this point and he leans in and he says, what do you guys think about infidelity? And we're like, say more young sir, (laughs) right? And so he follows and he says, what can a girl do to keep her man faithful? Wow, so many different thoughts right there, yeah. So this is the question, and immediately I have a response, but I wanna get your initial take on like how would you respond to something like that? There's two main paths I feel like I'm being torn between right now, and I'm trying to put myself in the headspace of someone actually asking me this question versus posing, what would you say in this situation type thing? And I think the stronger of the two is it's not her responsibility to ensure that you're faithful. You know, that's on you. And there's a whole litany of issues if that's how you approach it. And so there's that camp. And quite honestly, I don't know what the other was. I'm (laughs) blanking now because the more time that passes, the harder I go in that direction because that's the appropriate response. Yeah. Is that how you respond? That's exactly how I thought about it. In his mind, he's thinking, man, I just have this call to go out and be unfaithful. I'm, I'm drawn yeah. to other women, so what can my woman do to keep me faithful? And that is framing it in a way that says, I don't have responsibility for my yeah. actions. Yeah. What can someone else do to prevent me from doing this? And that was what I fed to him was essentially what you said. Yeah. That's your issue. And so this is where the road diverges for me. As a young man that's unmarried, That's your prerogative, man. If you want to change it up and go out, do that, but don't do it in the means of being unfaithful. You have to say to her, look, this is not the relationship I want to be in right now. I have these needs. I have these questions. I'm still searching, and I need to go do this. You have to be 
forthright and honest. You can't just try and keep it under the rug and have your cake and eat it too, so to speak. 110%. And you know what's crazy to me is that I pride myself in the fact that I have never cheated on a girlfriend, a, a spouse. I've only been engaged and married once, but I've never cheated on anybody. And what at the same time is disturbing about that is that is a point of pride. That should be a given. That should be the rule, not the exception. But in my 20s, everybody around me, I'm in college, whatever, is doing whatever the hell they want to whoever they want. And they care about only one thing, them and themselves only. So I've always prided myself on that. But it's sad that I pride myself on that because it should be a given from my perspective. The other thing that's really crazy and interesting and timely about this is, have you seen the article from this guy who has been studying humans and primates for the past 40 oh, years? Oh, yeah. I watched a documentary on that guy. He is putting forward that we do not have free will. Is this the same thing? The documentary I watched was on a guy that was talking about, he's examining the idea of being faithful and monogamous and relating humans and primates and doing study in that Area. Okay, so, so it could this be different, is, but he's a Stanford yeah, this guy. is different. This just came out in this article, and basically the tenets of what he's saying or pushing, which I think is dangerous, is that if you are epileptic, epil if you can speak properly, would you like to join our podcast? Because I'm going to get fired. So the idea that he's putting out there is if you have epilepsy and you drive your vehicle and you have an epileptic seizure or <laughs> if you have if you have an epileptic <laughs> if you have an epileptic <laughs> it's contagious if you have an epileptic <laughs> um, for those of you keeping score at home you know what we're trying to say go ahead i dare you try it epileptic seizure yeah so what he's saying is if you are driving your vehicle and you have a seizure, that's a medical emergency. If you injure somebody because you had a seizure while you were driving your vehicle, you're not really held responsible unless there was some gross negligence. You weren't taking your medication, like some intent. But you're not held responsible versus if you go out and get smashed and drive your vehicle drunk, then what happens? You get arrested, right? You're held accountable. You upend your whole life. All these things happen. You lose your license. His argument is that you have no more control than the person that had a seizure because everything we do essentially is preordained, if you will, or not necessarily preordained, but rather what he's driving at is that we have a complete lack of free will and all free will is an illusion. Everything we're doing, everything we will ever do is the result of things we have done, things we've been exposed to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he uses a lot of different examples, but what he's pushing at is that we should not be incarcerating people the way we are because of their actions because they really don't have control over it. So you should go out and murder somebody. You shouldn't really be held accountable for that because it wasn't really within your control to not murder somebody. It's it, crazy. You're not going to like this, but I, I see where he's coming from. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I do. And so this actually ties to another conversation. We're going to tangent here. Another conversation I had recently with a friend of mine. Anna and I were at dinner with a couple, and she's a coach in a gym. And there's a guy that comes to the morning class, which is mostly women. And he constantly makes sexist, disgusting remarks he looks at women in ways that this woman feels triggered by. 
So he's a Jim Creeper. Yes. We've all seen him. Jim Creeper for sure. Yeah. She was explaining this to me and I was not trying to validate or say that he was in the right in any way. Mm -hmm. But her take on it was he's a creep. People like that need to be put away, period, before they do something physical. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking from the perspective of I can see how you would think that. But based on our legal system, you can't until you actually do something. Right. But one way to think about that is what has happened in this guy's life? Mm -hmm. Was he abused as a child? Was he berated by his father? Was he emasculated in front of women in some way, shape, or form? Not that any of that excuses what he's mm -hmm. done, but it informs why he's doing, potentially, what he's doing. But he should be held accountable for Absolutely. his actions. Right? Absolutely. And you're, so you're always responsible for mm -hmm. your actions. Yeah. But- it helps us have a little bit more empathy for people if you can look back and say, I get why you are the way you are, but you need help. And I think it is on us as a society to help people in those positions to find help before they do do something that is life-altering yeah, for someone else. Yeah, I agree 100% that the idea is to help, to reform, to rehabilitate. But I think what's dangerous, and I haven't read the article in full detail, I skimmed it, and then I heard it talked about on the radio just this morning, actually. What I think is really dangerous is toying with the idea that we shouldn't hold people accountable for their actions. That's a whole nother situation, I think. Yeah, I agree with holding people responsible for their actions. But I think that it's harmful sometimes to look at someone's actions and declare them a bad person, for example, because of X, Y, and Z without knowing the full story. Because, yes, the actions are bad, the person may not be. Yeah. And I think that's a distinction that gets overlooked a lot. I try to explain that to my children, particularly my daughter, all the time. If somebody does something bad, it doesn't mean that they are bad. I think we should all start from a place of there are no bad people. There are people that do really bad things. Just driving here, I had my kids in the car, and I almost got sideswiped by a lady that was staring down at her phone and veering out of her lane. I throw my hands up and I'm like, what are you doing? I don't honk or cuss or anything like that. But I was agitated. I'm like, you're looking at your phone. You're going to run me off the road. I've got two kids in the car. Pay attention to what you're doing. And my daughter goes immediately to, they're a bad person. Or in other situations like that, she's like, I want to get somebody or because they're a bad person. I'm like, they're not a bad person. They might have just made a bad decision or they're choosing to do something that is bad, but it doesn't ultimately make them a bad person. I think all of this ties back into the conversation I was having with this young man around the campfire because the background that he comes from, the expectations of manliness mm. and macho masculinity, where he's from and how he was raised, dictate that you don't consider a woman's feelings. You want to cheat? You go out and do your thing, man. You do your thing and let her deal with it. You yeah. might have to deal with some drama on the back end if she finds out, but that's on you to just keep it hush-hush. But like a that's how it be sometimes approach. Yes. Yeah. And so I can see where he's coming from with like, how can I get my woman to keep me from wanting to do this? Yeah. But the real answer is it's in you. It's your decision. And the people you hang out with, the reason you're here is because you left to get away from that. So you have an opportunity to reimagine and recreate the life you want and live the way you want by your code without fear of being persecuted by the people you, you used to have to answer to. Yeah, to be the man you want to be. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah, no doubt. I think this is a good place to jump in. We're kind of already in some deep water here. Mm -hmm. And the question that I want to talk about today is actually related to this conversation. That you had with this young man? Not directly. 
but it's related in the sense of when we're talking about our personal shame, ultimately. Because I think a lot of what he's going through and trying to figure out is he feels shame around it, wanting to be out doing something else uh, or with somebody else yeah. and feeling the guilt and shame that comes with, but I have a good woman here. Yeah. Shame ultimately can drive us to do a lot of things or hide a lot of things. And so this question actually pertains to sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And so I know this is a triggering topic for a lot of people. There are a lot of sexual abuse survivors and people who are still going through it right now that they may not even recognize it fully, but I think there are a lot of people who have been through it, are going through it, that have remained quiet. And yeah. the biggest driver of that refusal to speak up is shame, in mm -hmm. my opinion. And so that's what I want to talk a little bit about today with this question. Let's dive right in. Here's the question. This is from a 16-year-old young man. And he says, I think my friend is being sexually abused by his dad. So right off the bat, we're talking within the family. Yeah. That's another layer of complication. Yeah. He says, my friend, and I'll call him Jay, has said some things that make me believe he's being sexually abused by his dad. When I confronted him about it, he said he'd kill himself if I called the cops. I'm not sure if he was being serious because he does make jokes sometimes, but I don't want to risk it. What should I do? Jay is currently living in our school dorms, meaning he's away from his father for the time being. Until Thanksgiving break, that is. The situation gets more complicated because Jay believes his dad loves him the most. I really don't know what to do. I just want my friend to be safe. Man. It doesn't get much heavier than that. No. And to be in that position at this age, I'm guessing this is a boarding school. Right. 16 is too young to be living in the dorms at college, yeah. I believe, for most people. Right? Yeah. Where would you start with that? First, I'd start by saying, first and foremost, we are sharing our perspectives and opinions, and this is not counseling advice or anything like that. My first thought is you need to speak with someone that is qualified to counsel you in this situation. I would recommend that to this person that is concerned about their friend because this is such a messy, tangled situation. Uh, I think it's evident by your friend's response that you shouldn't do anything rash. And, and so my, my first thought is speak to somebody that's qualified to prepare you or to equip you to address this appropriately and hopefully drive towards a positive income versus going roughshod, calling the cops and all that would ensue. Not that that isn't what an expert in this situation would advise, but that's my initial thoughts. I don't know, man, this is heavy. What are the first things that come to your mind? My first thought was, man, you got to tell somebody. But upon further reflection and thinking deeper about the situation, putting myself both in the shoes of the individual who's concerned and in the shoes of the friend who he believes is experiencing the abuse, I'm conflicted. Earlier, I alluded to the shame that comes with this. And so putting myself in this situation, you know, I wrote the book and there's a chapter in the book basically chronicling from kindergarten through high school my pursuit of sex. Once I learned that girls and boys are different private parts and my immediate quest to figure out, well, what are these differences I must see? Right? <laughs> yeah. I do mention in that chapter in second grade, there was a girl in my class. She happened to live in the apartment above me. We were living overseas mm -hmm. on base housing. And so we had these apartment complexes and her family lived right above mine. And in the book, I simply say, she agreed to that proposal. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Right. What I didn't talk about in the book and what I glossed over for two reasons. One, it wasn't pertinent to the narrative that I was trying to tell, but B, because there was a, still a lot of shame around it for me. At that time, this classmate of mine had a 16-year-old sister, and her sister was, 
you know, obviously at 16, she's more exploratory. She's got a boyfriend. They're doing all these things. And her little sister is learning about sex from her 16-year-old sister and trying to copy her. So in addition to the show and tell aspect, this girl wanted to do more. What age is this? Again? We're in second grade. So that's six, six seven, seven, eight. Yeah. And so there was more that happened. And there was touching and there was talking about what you do. And I'm not going to go into the graphic detail of it, but it was enough that even at that age, it made me sick to my stomach. Really? Coming out of that experience. And it happened multiple times. It happened progressively. You know, we were in the same class and living in the same place for second and third grade. And so it just became one of the things that we would play. Like, kids play house or play doctor and we would do that but it was with the full sexual context oh wow and that's not something that i've shared with anybody ever i shared that recently for the first time ever with my parents since the book published mm. you know i'm 41 years old and i've held this inside and not told anybody about it since second grade since i was six and this is two second graders having this experience together yeah. So the amount of shame that I felt to not be able to tell anybody about that till now. Imagine amplifying that to it being your father and, and it, it being same sex. There's so much more. Yeah. There. And so to me, the shame of it is probably what's preventing this kid's friend from really opening up. And, you know, he's, he's telling jokes about it. And joking is a great way to test the waters, to see how someone's going to respond and get a feel for, is this a safe person to talk to? My guidance, what I recommend to this guy is without explicitly stating or giving your thoughts on, hey, you should do this, first and foremost, just listen yeah. and make sure that your friend Jay knows that you are a safe person to talk to. Yeah, You can do that simply by saying, hey, man, whatever's going on, if something is going on, I want you to know that you can talk to me about it. I will not tell anybody. I will just be here for you. And that's it. Just see what happens. It's not going to be an instant, oh, well, here's my story. Yeah. It's going to take some time for that to settle in and marinate with him. And he's still going to have to process through that and figure out, all right, do I feel comfortable? Because there is, it's still a huge risk. And in addition to the shame that's around it, if you don't know how long it's been going on, I don't know if this is his biological father or a stepfather, but either way, how long has this guy been in his life and in his house? Because if this has been going on, let's say, since he was six, for example, now he's 16, you have 10 years of, of ongoing abuse. And in that time, in his mind when he's around his dad or this man in his life, he's probably still mentally at a six-year-old level. Mm -hmm. And so he might be bigger, stronger than this guy now. And you're looking at it like, why don't you just beat the shit out of him? Why yeah. do you let him do this to you? And that's a rational thought for anyone who hasn't gone through it. But if you're in that place where you feel so small and powerless in this person's presence and at the same time afraid to do anything that's going to put them in jeopardy and destroy your family potentially destroy the relationship between him and your mom it feels like there's a lot on the line there and so there's the shame and there's the fear mm -hmm. and those two things are enough to keep that inside regardless of what's happening to you physically outside that's why i think it's really just be a listener remind jay that he is a strong person that you know he's a strong person and that you're there for him and you'll support him any way necessary. I think that's the biggest thing, man, is I would be concerned about his feeling of a lack of power in the situation as it exists. And I would also say that by doing anything outside of his approval, 
So going to someone, whether it's the police or a resident assistant on campus, administrator, anything like that outside of his awareness and approval ahead of time can then take what feels like a potential. I mean, at this point, he has control of the situation by not telling you anything. If you take that decision from him, you're taking another element of power. You're making him feel even more powerless over his situation potentially. So that's the risk you run in going outside of that trust that you're forming with him in seeking additional guidance. So if you're going to do that, especially if you see physical abuse, you know whether it's bruises or, or anything that indicates that something physical is going on, then absolutely it needs to be reported, but it has to come from him. And so the best thing that you can do is just encourage, support, build him up, give him confidence, get him past that point of fear to the best of your ability. But at the end of the day, it's going to be his call. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's as sound advice as anybody could give. Be a trusted advisor, be a confident, and not even an advisor, a trusted listener. That's the most important thing, I think, yeah. We all have that tendency to resolve when somebody brings something to us or if we think something's wrong, we have a natural tendency to want to try and fix it. Sometimes all you have to do is be there. All you have to do is listen. You don't have to do anything, just being there, sitting in heavy situations. I've been involved in myself, surrounding death and other things like that. And you're always like, oh, what do I say? What do I do? What do I, I don't. And sometimes simply just physically being there is all anybody can expect or ask or hope for. And even though it may seem like you're missing the mark and that you're not really actually doing anything, there's power to just being there. Yeah, way more power than you think yeah. to just being there. And just a brief point of clarification, when I said that I would suggest that person seeks counsel, it's anonymously so that maybe they could gain the perspective of somebody that counsels people in these situations. And I suspect that they would likely say a lot of the things you just said. Again, I'm no expert, but to me, that sounds like sound advice. I think the other way that you could go if you ultimately feel compelled to bring this outside of Jay and go, for lack of a better term, to go around him to help him get help. I wouldn't share any details. I would go to someone that either you know mutually, and I'm talking about an adult here, I wouldn't bring in anyone else your age, anyone that potentially has the capacity to sabotage him via social capital Mm. and use this against him in a way to bring him down. I would go to a trusted adult, whether it's an administrator at the school, someone in healthcare, and say, you know what, I don't think Jay is doing too well. Would you just keep an eye on him and see if you see anything? Keep it very vague. And all you're doing is bringing their attention to the fact that you think something is wrong. Let them evaluate themselves. And if they feel a need to come in and step in and ask him those same types of questions that I mentioned before, just be a listening ear. If you don't feel confident or you don't feel like your influence has established the result that you're looking for, that you hope for Jay, that would be a way to do it. But don't share details. Don't even share your suspicions of what the cause is. Just make it known that I don't think he's doing too well. And I'd appreciate it if you'd just keep an eye on him. Yeah, that sounds like really sound wisdom as well. Again, this is not prescriptive advice by any stretch. But just coming from someone who has been through something like this, it's a very, very tough situation. And I don't envy anyone going through it. I know there's a lot of people who have gone through it, are going through it again, And there's so much shame tied to it because it's not your fault. I know now it wasn't my fault. Mm -hmm. I feel like for a long time I felt it was because it was my interest in 
show me what's under your skirt. Yeah. That was my interest. Yeah. But that's where my interest stopped. In second grade, I'm not looking to be a sexually active person. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. I don't know what that entails. And so all the details I'm getting after that is just like, this is fucking weird. I don't know what to do, but I also can't run away. I also can't tell my mom because I'll be in trouble. And all of a sudden it spirals yeah. out of control and you're just, the only thing you have left is to hold it inside. And it sits and it affects your relationships down the road. In the book, I talk about my first kiss being in seventh grade. And that's because that's when I said to myself, I'm choosing this. Yeah. This is not something that was forced on me. And so this is where I start my line. But all of that baggage was still with me. And it wasn't until I wrote the book and then subsequently told my mom and my dad about it when they were asking me questions about that time in my life that it really came through. And I realized, like, I didn't even think of it as an abusive or a sexually abusive situation until I put that in perspective talking to them. And I realized, holy shit, I've been carrying this for this long with this much shame and this sick feeling in my gut with it. Anyone who's out there who's listening to this, who is going through something like this, it's not your fault. Even if this is something that you feel like you led someone on or you gave them some type of hint, they're going to make you feel like it was your fault, that it's your idea. It's not. And there's no shame in going and getting help for this. I think it's getting easier to report this kind of thing, certainly than it has been in the past. It is by no means am I saying it's easy. It's a very, very hard and very, very emotional road to walk. But if you are feeling like this is something that you want to get out of, you absolutely should find someone to talk to. Find someone to talk to because the longer you hold on to it, even if it's something that happened in your past and you just are holding on to it if it's not an active situation, find someone to talk to and share it and let it out and you will feel so much lighter. It will make your relationships going forward better. It just takes something that you've been afraid of, ashamed of, and lets it out of your system. And that's an incredibly powerful feeling. Yeah. Oof. I don't have a lot to add to that. I told you this one was going to be pretty heavy, man. Yeah, so, man, that is heavy. To this young man, thank you for putting this out there because I know that you're not the only one that has this concern for a friend or for yourself, mm -hmm. but it speaks volumes about where you are maturity-wise and just recognizing your friend's pain and having the compassion to want to do something about it. So the difference between compassion and empathy, going back to Jeff's conversation, empathy is being like, I feel you, bro. And compassion is, I feel you, bro, and I want to fix this. Yeah. I want to work with you to fix this and make this better. So thank you for your compassion. And I think it speaks volumes to who you are and who you're going to be as you continue to grow, mature, and move through life. So kudos to you. Yeah, this world desperately needs more of that. I don't know how we even lighten it up after I, that. I don't know. I don't know. I'll take a swing and a miss, and you can cut this if if you want. But first, thank you for sharing that. The weight that has placed on you really surprises me. And I say that from having not experienced that, and I, I don't mean to diminish it by any means or anything like that. But I think back, some of my earliest memories are when I was like six, seven, eight. I don't remember much before that. But as long as I can remember... I have been on a crusade to conquer sexually, even at that age that yeah. you're talking about. And I didn't have that situation occur, but I was always after it, wanting to see what I could see. And I'd have friends that had older sisters and I'd get them to chase me and try and get them to tackle me and kiss me and do all this stuff. 
And I don't understand why that had such a weight on you the way it did. And I'm glad that you got it off your chest. And I'm glad you talked to your parents and I'm glad you shared that with me. And I'm just trying to put myself in that situation and thinking, would I have felt the same way? I don't know. I think it's all very personal. Did you ever shoplift as a kid? Yeah. Yeah, so did I. Yeah. There's a phase where you just want to take some stuff because you can. All kinds of situations where you do something and then you feel guilty about it afterward. And in a lot of cases, you can apologize or you can make Mm -hmm. up. But sex and giving yourself is one of those things that you can never take back. Once you have an experience, you can't take it back. Mm -hmm. And when it's taken from you, Mm -hmm. it can't be given back. Mm-hmm. So if I stole something from you, if I liked your headset and I wanted that and I stole that, I might feel bad about that and I would beat myself up about it. I could give it back to you. We rectify the situation. I might still be like, man, you're a piece of shit, Tom. Why would you even do that? Yeah. But it's something that can be given back. Mm-hmm. Something that's taken from you without consent that cannot be returned, cannot be recompensated Yeah, is a different thing. And when it has to do with something as visceral as... I mean, it touches you on the level of who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. If I think of myself as, you know, using a situation like this, if you think of yourself as a straight man and you're interested in women, and then you have a coach or a teacher or perhaps a father figure touch you in a way that you just know, like you've been, I'm sure someone at some point has either looked at you or touched you in a way that you're like, ah, that doesn't feel right with me. Mm -hmm. Does that happen to you in any context? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Not in a sexual context, but yeah. Any context where you're just like, ah, that t- it's, you're too close. Th- that didn't feel, you know, it's weird. you get a weird yeah, yeah, feeling yeah, yeah, in your yeah. stomach. In this situation, that feeling that you get is amplified times a million mm-hmm. and you never lose it. And all you can do is tamp it down and try and keep it in a manageable level. And I'd be really interested, and I don't know that there's any way to know this, but what her perspective is on that situation Obviously, it sounds like there might have been some questionable things going on between her older sister and this young lady, you know, that you shared your story about. I wonder how she views it. I don't know. She probably has some kind of trauma around it as well. I mean, as a second grader, having a 16-year-old sister, that age gap is significant. You're at completely different points in your life. You're not playing Barbies with your 16-year-old sister. So if that's what you see and is modeled to you as, oh, that's that's what a woman needs to be. Effectively, she was robbed of her childhood, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, again, I don't know any specifics and I don't want to get into any specifics. I don't think that's appropriate. But I'm just, again, I'm thinking to myself and I'm trying to put myself in those shoes. If my older brother was like, check this out, this is what you do. Grab yourself a lady and whatever. Again, not to get too graphic. And then I had somebody that was the same age and we did that. How would I feel about that? How would I think about that? How would I look back on that? I just, I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you yeah. can't know. Yeah. And it goes back to the conversation we had about addiction too, right? Mm-hmm. Unless Same you've thing. been on that path, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been down it. Just like trying to explain to someone the shame around it. Mm-hmm. You're like, just fucking tell somebody. Just talk, just call the cops. Like, yeah. If that's happened to you, call the cops. There's so many more layers to it that make it so much more complicated. Yeah. You know what's interesting? And this is not, I'm not trying to equate this in any way, but I've always had a natural tendency to like, you screw up you go tell immediately. Like you do something really dumb and really stupid, you go tell. That's going to be something that a lot of people listening will wrestle with is if you haven't been through it, why don't you just, duh, go tell somebody, right? But again, it's just one of those things that unless you are someone who has been through it and know what that weight feels like and how impossible that lift feels, 
because the other side of it is I don't know what happens on the other side. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to destroy my family. I don't right. know how this is going to affect people around me. I don't know how this is going to affect anyone who knows me, what they're going to say about me. There's so much more that goes into it that if you know someone in that situation or have been in that situation, just be a listener, be someone who's there and available to them and have some compassion Yeah, because it's one of those things that literally you cannot understand if you haven't been through. And just like I can't understand your situation and you're saying it's almost unfathomable for you to understand his situation, it's it's the same thing. I can't understand yours. You can't fully understand his because of the order of magnitude and difference versus a father figure, a parent, someone you're related to, someone that's older. It's It's not comprehensible. Right. But imagine if you had a tremendously close relationship with your grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I have a grandfather, but we were not that close or you know something like that. And both of our grandfathers die. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to understand the true depth of your loss. Yeah. But I will understand the depth of the loss and what it means to have gone through that. Yeah. And so that's the closest I think you can say. Myself and Jay, very, very different. But I don't think you can ever compare traumas. Any uh, trauma. Any trauma. No. The death of your grandfather, the death of my grandfather. Even though you were much closer to yours, if that's the most traumatic thing that's happened in my life, that trauma is very real for me. Versus, hey, I don't even have a grandfather. I don't understand what you're talking about. Never had one, never known one. Yeah. And so I don't need to know the details of what has happened with Jay, but all I can say is, hey, I've been on this path and I know how I felt. And so I can relate in that way. Not saying that I know what you're going through, man, but it's one of those things, silent nod and I'm like, bro, I'm there. Yeah. Hang in there. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it. It's hang in there. And that goes for everyone who's either going through it, has been through it, hang in there, find someone to talk to. If you are a friend of someone who you know is going through this or has been through this, be a listener. And this is a great opportunity for you to prove your ability to be a true confidant in seeking to help someone and not for your personal gain in terms of dirt that you can share or just to feel cool because you're in on it and you know the situation's going on but just to truly be there as a true friend. Yeah, and I'll go out on a limb, complete shot in the dark. If you don't have anybody, reach out to us. We can listen. There are conversations and stories we hear and things that we are told that never make it to the podcast because our value was simply to be there, simply to listen, simply to, if requested, provide perspective or or experience or anything like that. But if you have nobody else that you can reach out to, and even if you want to do it anonymously, reach out. That's what we're here for. That's what we're trying to promote is positive, healthy communication. You're not alone. Absolutely. You're not alone. Yeah, man. All right, buddy. I appreciate you sitting here through this, hearing my story, and hopefully providing some quality of guidance perspective to Jay's friend. And if you share this with Jay and he listens to it, Jay, you know, I feel you, bro. We're here for you. So best of luck with all of it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, man. Yeah, brother.